Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. I'm Ken Baer, one of the pastors that celebrates seniors. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at uh, passages in the Gospel of Luke at the lives of two women. Uh, I find it fascinating sometimes to take a look at the lives of women that we see in the Bible for a number of reasons. One is is that there's not that many of them. Uh, Jesus had 12 apostles, but not even one of them was a woman. Now, if you look through the Bible, you'll see that the male-female ratio actually started off pretty good, right? At the beginning, there was Adam and Eve, 50-50 first couple. However, after Adam and Eve, uh, we have Adam's sons and his grandsons, and not too many women were ever mentioned. In fact, of all the individuals named in the Bible, scholars tell us that less than 5% were female. However, as we get into this story today, we'll find that the Bible in general, and Christianity specifically, is much more inclusive of women than historians would let us know or contemporary people actually realize. Jesus emphasized the important role of women and the rest of the ancient world was not ready for that at the time of Jesus. We know that some of the names of the famous women of antiquity, we know them, primarily because there's so few of them. For example, there's Cleopatra of Egypt, Helen of Troy, Joan of Arc, And more recently, people like Anne Boleyn, Queen Victoria, Queen Isabella of Spain. Historians that have nothing better to do than catalog the names of famous people, both men and women, have noted that less than 1% of the people that are famous are known to historians are actually female. So the Bible at 5% is actually much more inclusive. For example, we know that Abraham's wife was Sarah. Isaac was married to Rebekah. And of course, there's both Leah and Rachel, the two wives of Jacob. Miriam was the sister of Moses. Rahab was a woman with a sordid past but became a direct ancestor to Jesus. Then there was Deborah, one of the judges of Israel. We also know that the stories of Ruth. Ruth has a book of the Bible named after her. We also know names like Naomi, Hannah, and Esther, all famous women because of their outstanding character. They were notable because of their great faith and their fidelity. Then, of course, there's a couple others. There's Delilah, who betrayed Samson, and of course there was Jezebel, the most wicked queen of all time. If you notice, nobody names their daughters Jezebel. So I find that when the Bible speaks of a woman by by name, and we begin to learn of her personality, of the conversations that she had uh, with the Lord, of her faith, we find that uh, it's notable. There's, there's something there for us to, to learn. One of the things we can learn is how much God loves these women. We read in the Old Testament that for the most part, when the law speaks about a woman, it was to defend her, to protect her. For instance, the Ten Commandments required honor and respect for both mother and father. The Bible celebrates both the pregnant woman as well as the child saying that the unborn child is a human life. Unlike many other ancient civilizations, the women of Israel were not considered chattel, not property, but they had the right to inherit property, to buy and sell property, to run businesses, and they were to be protected from sexual assault. 
When we come to the New Testament and our focus on our teaching today, even a casual overview of the text indicates that Jesus had a much more egalitarian viewpoint than any of his contemporaries. This is also true of the apostles. The Apostle Paul told the Galatians, for example, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Christianity has been by far the greatest influence on the just and equal treatment of women in this modern world. Jesus was willing to teach women along with men. While the culture within Judaism considered it inappropriate to teach women the scriptures, Jesus was extraordinary. As we see multiple instances where he was willing to break with uh, customs in order to talk, to teach, to touch, and even to have his feet washed by a woman. He would greet and embrace women as he would the men. Uh, the woman at the well, for example, was a Samaritan and chose, and Jesus chose to not only speak to her, but to reveal to her that he was the Messiah. This was such a departure from the existing culture that even the woman of Samaria said, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Crossing both Jewish cultural boundaries as well as centuries-old animosities between Jews and Samaritans, Jesus chose this woman, unmarried, likely the target of ridicule, to be a witness for him to the Samaritan village of Sychor. It's no small import that according to the eyewitnesses' accounts of all four Gospels, it was the women, it was the women that were the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They hurried back to the men to tell, that, tell them that Jesus had written, risen. But unfortunately, or maybe all too common, uh, the men would, would not listen. These women that went to the tomb were disciples of Jesus. They witnessed firsthand the, the crucifixion while all, most others scattered. That may have been why they were given the privilege of being the first to witness his glory. Women were without a doubt present with the apostles in the upper room on the day of Pentecost and received the power of the Holy Spirit along with the men. So let's turn our story today to the two women that I mentioned at the beginning. These two women were sisters. The Bible doesn't give us their age, but many believe that they were young, possibly in their 20s or early 30s. These two women were relatively affluent because they had their own home. Uh, and you'll recognize them when we begin reading as we begin in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we'll be looking at these two sisters, Martha and Mary. Let's start off as we typically do by examining the context of the story. And we'll likely get some insight into the short, there's only five verses, but actually very important passages. 
Chapter 10 begins by the account of Jesus sending out the 72. Verse 1, after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know, it's not uncommon for us that when we hear the word disciples, we immediately think of the 12. And that's probably a good thing to do many times. However, we see that at this time in the ministry of Jesus, he had already been ministering for more than two years, two years after he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he began his public ministry. Many of the followers of Jesus were eager to listen to his teachings and they wanted to be very close, very close to Jesus, and they would go ahead of him and anticipate what towns he was going into. Some of these became part of these 72. Whether formally or informally, they became disciples. The 72 that were sent by Jesus not only had some success, but they returned and they said, even the demons submit to us in your name. Chapter 10 goes on to then with the account of the of the conversation between Jews and the expert in the law that leads to the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. So that brings us to verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So there are a couple of observations in this very first verse. Jesus and his disciples, it says, were on their way. Scholars generally agree that they were on their way to Jerusalem. Martha and Mary, along with their brother Lazarus, lived in the town of Bethany. The town of Bethany was located about two miles east of Jerusalem, on the road between the city of Jericho and Jerusalem. Jesus likely often visited Bethany, as it is mentioned numerous times in the four Gospels. You may recall that it's in Bethany where a man named Lazarus lived, the, the brother of Martha and Mary. Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. And interestingly, the town of Bethany, since ancient times, has been called Al-Azira. Al-Azira. And Al-Azira in Arabic means the place of Lazarus. So Jesus is coming from the east, from what we know now as the west bank of Israel, likely close to the town of Jericho. And he's traveling through Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. And he's less than about an hour's walk outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And the text says that Martha offered him hospitality, he and his disciples. Now, hospitality was extremely important in the Middle East. In fact, the custom continues today all through Africa and Asia. In, in Judaism, offering hospitality to guests is considered a mitzvah, a commandment. Have you heard the word the, 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 of a young boy, a young Jewish boy getting his bar mitzvah? Well, it's the same word. Mitzvah is commandment. So a bar mitzvah, he becomes the son of the commandment. Hospitality meant that as strangers or travelers came into your village, it was an obligation to provide food, a place to relax, or perhaps spend the night. Hospitality involved not only providing the necessary accommodations, but also offering your your very best, the best of your food, the best of what you had to drink, not just bread, but even meat if it was available. Remembering there were no Hiltons at the time, no double trees. The people needed to be hospitable because there was nowhere else to stay. 
The Bible tells of the account of Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And the young maiden Rebekah offered hospitality and watered the servants, then ten thirsty camels. We assume that Martha and Mary knew Jesus, not just from the offer of hospitality, but the fact that these were women that were offering hospitality to a group of men. It also is a fact that Martha later calls Jesus Lord, indicating that she, she knows him, she knows who he is and what he represents. This offer of hospitality, however, of Martha was very extravagant. It was very generous. In fact, it's this offer of hospitality that then obligates the hostess, which would be Martha, to take the task of hospitality seriously. She needed to provide them with a place to relax, something to drink, likely preparing a meal for them. And Jesus was not alone either. Remember, verse 38 says that Jesus and his disciples were on their way. Jesus was with his disciples. This is two years into his ministry. By that time, Jesus is, is well known. He's a miracle worker. There were rumors that he may be the Messiah, the deliverer that was to come. Multitudes had been following him, running ahead, trying to get a glimpse of him. Many are taking him serious, and many had become his disciples. The apostles numbered only 12. However, if you remember, the same chapter started with the 72 disciples returning. So there could be even more than 12 that were with Jesus at the time. Let's continue. Verse 39. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Martha had a sister named Mary and of course a brother named Lazarus. He doesn't appear in this story. It's just about Martha and Mary. I used to think that this story was relatively easy to understand. Martha was busy, 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 and didn't understand that she needed to really spend time with Jesus, but Mary understood and chose wisely. Well, that is always good advice, and to be sure to pay attention to Jesus. I think there's really much more to learn in these five verses. In all of the accounts of Martha, Mary, and her brother Lazarus, we don't see any other family. No mother or father nor husbands for either one of the ladies. In fact, we don't, we, see, we don't see any wife for Lazarus. Martha appears to be the eldest of the three and in control of the household. An indication both of her offer of hospitality as well as her role in providing the hospitality and serving as the hostess. In this verse, we see Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to what he said. You know, it's not unusual that Jesus would be teaching other than praying or spending time with his father it was his primary occupation. Jesus was called rabbi, a word that means teacher. One of the 90 times Jesus was addressed directly in the gospel, 60 times, or two-thirds of the time, he's called teacher. This was the word the multitudes used. This is how the disciples referred to him. Jesus himself used the term when referring to himself. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, Nicodemus said, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Jesus was not just a teacher, he was an extraordinary teacher. The Gospel of Mark tells us he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Historians tell us that the scribes would often teach by referring to what others had said, quoting endless number of people that spoke on the same scriptures or told the same stories. But the Bible says that Jesus spoke with the authority of God. Jesus also spoke using parables. 
telling us himself that the parables reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Jesus would contrast the common teaching of the scribes with teachings with authority and from the Word of God. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus contrasting his teaching from what others had said. Verse 21, you have heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then later he said, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. No wonder, no wonder Mary wanted to sit at his feet and drink all of that in. Commentators tell us that by sitting at the feet of Jesus, Mary is assuming a role reserved not only for men, but also for disciples. We live in a different world where men and women have the same educational benefits, the same career opportunities, and even have the same religious vocational opportunities in many cases. However, until Jesus, in the days of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, no woman could have become a disciple of a rabbi or religious leader. Jesus, however, loved Mary. He permitted her to sit at his feet. To others, it may seem like Mary may have crossed some social boundary, some glass ceiling, but we don't see any account of that or any indication of that in the, in the text. There's no hint of it. Jesus and his disciples and even Martha and Mary were aware of how Jesus was willing to treat women, and Mary was taking full advantage of the opportunity to get up close and personal to drink in the teachings of Jesus, his wisdom, and his words. And do you know people like Mary? I do. My wife is actually like that. We have very precious friends as well that, that are like Mary. They, they drink in the words of the scripture. They're always learning, always interested in what the Bible has to say. They sit at the feet of their rabbis, their local pastors. This, in this time of social distancing, when our church buildings are closed, when it would seem to many that they have nothing better to do than watch TV, there are many Marys still out there. Men, women, children, entire families that have taken the opportunity to continue to sit at the feet of their rabbis, their local pastors. Many pastors have taken this opportunity to find new ways to communicate God's truth. And people are sitting and listening, watching and listening on their TVs. They're also at church online, video sermons, or listening to audio podcasts. So many can relate to Mary. She's taking the opportunity to grow, to become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, to become one of his disciples. So let's continue. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It was Martha that we first see offering the hospitality. She opened her house to Jesus and his disciples. So Martha invites Jesus and an unknown number of his disciples into her house, and then we see that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this verse then says Martha was distracted 
by all of the preparations that had to be made. So our first question is, well, what kind of preparations did Martha have to make? Uh, we talked briefly about hospitality earlier in the land of Israel, and it was more than just offering some water and a place in the shade. I did some research to see if I could get an idea of what Martha may have been preparing. And I found this, I found that according to the American-Israeli Cooperative Enterprise, AICE, this is what it says. It says, the limited information we have suggests that in the biblical period, it was customary to have only two daily meals. A late morning meal, which also served as a break in the workday, would probably consist of bread dipped in olive oil or in wine, vinegar, toasted wheat, olives, figs, or some other fruit, and water or a little diluted wine. According to the book of Ruth, this was the meal that was eaten by Ruth, uh, the Moabite, and Boaz, and the harvesters that were with them. Kind of a picnic in the fields uh, at midday. The main meal was taken in the evening, before dark, and consisted of a common pot of soup or broth, seasoned legumes, into which the dinner diners slipped pieces of bread to scoop out the helping. Uh, bread was always a part of, of every meal. Ezekiel 4.9 said, take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, and millet, put them into one vessel, and bake them into bread. We also see a number of times in the Bible that the preparation, and you know, possibly this was the preparation that Martha was undertaking, included taking the milled wheat or barley, heating the oven, and baking the bread. It's not unlikely that since this was a family of means, they may have even had meat involved. Uh, we see in the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, as well as the prodigal son in the New Testament, that the preparation of hospitality included going and choosing from a cove of a flock a goat or a lamb, preparing it and roasting it. Now that's a lot of work. That's a lot of preparation for Martha. And verse 40 says Martha was distracted by all these preparations. In this, first, in this 21st century, we certainly understand distractions, don't we? At any given time, we may have three, four, or five devices vying for our attention. Uh, when I was younger, it was the radio. I loved my radio. I got my first radio when I was probably around uh, 12 years old. And I loved playing the radio in my bedroom, especially when I was doing homework. And my mom would come to me and she said, you can't be doing homework and listening to the radio. And I, I would tell her, oh, it helps me study. I don't think she ever believed me, but usually I was able to play my radio while I was studying. Uh, to, but today, you know, it's, it's not the radio. I, I don't even own a radio anymore. It's cable TV with over 500 channels, smartphones, videos, podcasts, social media. Um, people that work in marketing and advertising uh, say that on average we're distracted, interrupted, or entertained by 247 separate digital communications each and every day. Uh, that's just an average. Um, what I read said that it can hit as many as 3,000 visual and audio attacks in a single day. So we understand distractions by, but what was Martha's distraction? Have you thought about that? Was she distracted by the preparations? Putting together the bread dipped in olive oil, the wine, vinegar, toasted wheat, olives, figs. Was she distracted because she was trying to figure out which young goat was going to be the next meal? Or was it really something different? Could it be that her main focus was actually Jesus? And she was getting distracted, unable to take in his message, unable to get all of his teaching because she was still trying to be a, a good hostess. 
Martha knew what had to be done. She was the one that had invited Jesus and his disciples into her home. But I wonder if her heart's desire was to be sitting at the feet of Jesus just like Mary, to be able to enjoy his, this precious time of having the rabbi in her own very own home. However, because of her sense of duty, her responsibility, uh, she knew that she needed to prepare the meal. She needed, she needed to make her guests feel at home. She needed to bring in the tasty treat, something, give them something to drink, make sure that everyone was comfortable while all the while she was possibly straining her ears to hear what Jesus was saying. At the same time, she'd look over at Mary, Mary sitting there contently at the feet of Jesus, just, just enjoying herself. Either way, Martha then asked Jesus for some help. She says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work myself? Tell her to help me. Now, do you have a, a brother or sister? Uh, if you do, have you ever wondered why you're doing all the work sometimes and your brother or sister was occupied or doing something else? I do, and I did. I have a brother, and my, there were many times I remember growing up where I was cutting the lawn or weeding the garden or cleaning out the garage, and my brother seemed to be able to find something else to do. He found a way to be able to avoid some of the heavy lifting, getting his hands dirty. Um, he never had to climb down in the cellar, for example, to chase out some critters, only to find one of the critters was actually a skunk. Just because Martha is complaining about her sister doesn't mean she doesn't love her sister. Sisters squabble, and actually I found that sisters love to squabble. Uh, you know, I would fight with my brother about many things, but I always loved my brother. But Martha goes to Jesus because Mar Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus must surely know that Martha could use some help. Perhaps Jesus could just hit pause for a moment, just a few moments while Mary helped Martha and they could both then sit and enjoy the teachings of this rabbi. So Martha asked Jesus to intervene, but before we get to the answer that Jesus gives, let's review real quickly three important things that we know about Martha. Number one, Martha was a generous hostess. There are people that have big houses and people that have small houses, and I found that the size of your house doesn't necessarily mean how generous you may be. In fact, often I find that the size of house and generosity is often inversely related. Rich people often, but not always, are less generous with the great amount that they have than poor people generous with the little that they can share. However, Martha owned a large house. It was so large that she offered it freely to Jesus and his apostles. It was a generous offer, and Martha was a generous person. Number two, Martha was a devoted person. Being devoted to Jesus can be dangerous as well. Based on the gospel accounts at this time in the ministry of Jesus, it was becoming dangerous for people to freely associate with Jesus. Remember the blind man that Jesus had healed? The Pharisees were sent to investigate, and they challenged the parents, saying, is this your son that was born blind? How is it that he can see? And his parents were scared to death. They replied, well, he's of age, go ask him. Then the Pharisees caught up with the man that had been born blind, but now could see because of Jesus. And the Bible says they hurled insults at him. They said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Now Jesus had told his disciples in Matthew 10, Jesus said this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more, how much more would they call them of this household Beelzebub? But Martha, along with her sister, loved Jesus. While many of his own disciples had forsaken him and others were now speaking against him, Martha welcomed Jesus and his disciples into her home. She was ready to let the world know of her affection for him. Number three, Martha was a caring and loving person. Uh, we're not exactly sure of who Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were, why they were all living together, but we get the impression that it was Martha that was taking care of both of them. Later, the Gospel accounts tell us that when Martha would prepare another meal for Jesus, with both Mary and Lazarus and his disciples present, she loved her sister and her brother, and she loved Jesus. So let's continue. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. In this verse, we find that Jesus answers Martha and knows Martha probably better than Martha knows herself. Her gift of hospitality was God-given. Hospitality is important and a very high value, both in Israel as, it, as well as in the kingdom of God. However, Jesus calls her out. Jesus actually says her name twice. Now, there are other times in the Bible when God calls out a name of a person twice. In the Old Testament, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, Isaac, God called out to him, Abraham, Abraham. Uh, when God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he called out, Moses, Moses. And when God was trying to get young Samuel's attention, but Samuel kept on running to Eli, thinking it was Eli that was talking to him, God finally said, Samuel, Samuel. Jesus says Martha's name twice. It's a, it's a sign of affection and honor. And Jesus wants to get her attention. Jesus said, you are worried and upset about many things. You see, Martha had a gift, a, a calling, and she was doing exactly what she was called to do. But then she added something to that gift that wasn't a gift from God. Jesus said that she was worried and upset. You know, Jesus never had anything good to say about worry. It's exactly appropriate in this context as Jesus is just repeating what he said earlier about worry. Uh, let me give you just a few verses out of Matthew 6. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's finish up with this last verse. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And then verse 42. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, 
and it will not be taken away from her. You know, I love that word chosen. The Bible says that God chooses us, but at the same time, there's things that we get to choose. We get to choose how we're going to live this life that God gave us. I believe that the Bible teaches that everyone has a, a gift, a unique, unique calling. For Martha, it was definitely service, to, to offer hospitality. However, we all get to choose how we live out that gift, that calling. Do we do it cheerfully, knowing that God is the one that gives us the opportunity to use the gift? Or do we get distracted, encumbered, weighted down by the cares and concerns, the worries of this life. Jesus said that Mary chose the good part. Both Martha and, and Mary chose to love, to be a family, to love Jesus, both of them. Mary also chose, the Bible says, the good part. She chose to redeem the time, to relish the time with Jesus. Martha also chose to love, to be a family, to love Jesus, but Martha is like many of us we can be easily distracted and when that distraction is actually a worry it causes us to lose focus to be upset the story of martha and mary is a is a wonderful story it shows us that we need to use the gifts god has given us the talents the time the treasures these are all gifts of god however the greatest gift of all is our relationship with jesus we need to choose the best. We need to relish our time with Him as the most important and most precious gift of all. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to open your scriptures. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.